This this is the Impressions Exchange Podcast. Impressions Exchange Podcast. Where all topics impacting the graphic imaging and printing industry are addressed via in-depth news coverage, analysis, and timely interviews. Welcome to this Earth Month episode of the Impressions Exchange Podcast. April means celebrating and honoring Earth Month and Earth Day, which is April 22nd this year. As part of Printing United Alliance, we are proud to support a variety of sustainability initiatives that will help responsibly provide for future generations in the printing industry. To celebrate this important topic, we have two special guests on the show today. First up, I will be speaking with Gary Jones, Vice President of Environmental Health and Safety Affairs at Printing United Alliance. We discuss the resources, tools, and information about sustainability that is available to Printing United Alliance members, how the Alliance is advocating on behalf of the industry and how members can get involved, and why sustainability was once a nice thing and how it's now a must-do thing. Later on in the episode, my colleague and co-host, Senior Editor Dan Marks, speaks with Adam Peake, Senior Vice President of Sales at Myers Printing. They talk about the company's approach to sustainability and why it's so important to make it a priority. Gary, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, thanks, Ashley. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our podcast. Of course, of course. I always I always love having you on. So, um, you know, this month, it's Earth Month, and I know we, we had, uh, we've had some things that we've we've published and talking about sustainability initiatives. Um, and I know that sustainability, sustainability initiatives are really important to the Alliance. Um, so I'd love if you could kind of walk us through, uh, you know, some of the initiatives that we're involved in, some of the tools and the resources that are available to Printing United Alliance members in terms of sustainability. Oh yeah, sure. Sustainability is a central part of what we do in our, in our area, our, our government affairs department, because it, has become, I would say, probably one of the higher priority items for our industry. Now, some of that's dependent upon your market. So if you're involved in packaging, for example, it's red hot. Um, what's going on with, with apparel, for example, there, fast fashion is the term that's used, but fast fashion is getting a lot of criticism because of the overall environmental impact that comes with the production of, of apparel. And it starts with the, you know, the the substrate starts with how the substrate's made, how it's dyed, how it's transported, how it's uh, finished, how it's printed, how it's distributed, and then end of life. So that's getting a lot of attention. End of life. What do you do with all this clothing and apparel that people are done wearing? Where does it go? Because recycling of apparel is 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 in its I would say infancy. There's a little bit occurring, but not a lot. So. Sustainability, depending upon the market that you're in and your customers that you're serving, um, could be could be your number one issue. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of initiatives on the part of our customers from their sustainability perspectives, and that's being driven down that supply chain. So as a result, we're getting questions from our members about how to address some of their questions from their customers on a, from a sustainability perspective. Probably, I would say one of the bigger movements out there that's having an impact is the ESG movement, um, environmental social governance. And so environmental social governments, the E part of that is really being focused on reducing carbon emissions. 
So one of the projects that we have, we have a carbon footprint calculator available to our members and it does scope one and scope two. Now scope one are your direct emissions from burning fossil fuels. Scope two are gonna be the emissions from purchasing uh, uh, energy. Generally that's electricity, but if you purchase electricity, there's a carbon footprint associated with the electricity. So that's scope two. And then scope three is basically everything else. In scope three, there's 15 different parameters of scope three, and it involves employee commute, transportation, and primarily looking at uh, the substrate, your materials that you're printing on, your inks, your coatings, your other materials, that's your scope three. So our calculator doesn't have scope three because scope three can be rather complicated. So one of the projects that I'm actively engaged in right now is looking at how we can bring a scope three solution to our members, either taking our existing calculator, which is available to a member and adding a scope three segment, or we may have to, because there's so many parameters, we may have to rethink that and come up with more of, a, of, an, of an online type database type of approach. So we haven't figured that out yet. What we're working on is just trying to identify those scope three parameters and then how we fold that into what we're currently providing to our, to our members. Because in my opinion, one of my next articles I'm gonna write is that there is a scope three in your future uh, because there is tremendous pressure on, uh, on the supply chain because when you look at the larger companies that are making commitments for net zero, for example, that's a term that's being tossed around, they, they wanna reduce their, their, their greenhouse gas emissions down to zero. When a, when a company looks at their total greenhouse gas emissions, Scope three is rather significant. And, and as the, in the printing and, and converting industry, uh, we are somebody's scope three emissions. And so that means that that company that's looking at reducing their emissions, 70, 80% of their emissions are from their scope threes, which means they're going into the supply chain and saying, okay, to my supply chain, what are your carbon emissions and what are you doing to reduce them? And how can I then take advantage of that in my reporting out of what we're making progress on. And so that's really becoming a high focal area. So we're, we're on it. You know, we're trying to, we've gotten some questions from our members, but we know that um, there's definitely a scope three in your future. And so we're, we're working hard to make it easier for our members to be able to answer that question. Um, you know, we're, we're focused on other areas uh, as, as, um, as, as I say, sustainability was, was a, was a nice thing to do and now it's becoming a must thing to do. So from a regulatory perspective, we're seeing more pressure coming on a regulatory side of it. So we're engaged with helping the industry from that respect and representing the industry and getting engaged in those regulatory process focusing on sustainability. So I want to ask you a little bit more about, um, you know, different ways that the Alliance is advocating for the industry. Um, but you would, um, you know, mentioned the carbon calculator and you mentioned a little bit about ESG. Um, is there any information? Um, I know extended producer responsibility, that's also something that you've, um, you know, written about and um, in various ways for our different brands. But is that something um, there's information on that on the, the web page or could you talk about that a little more? Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it, extended producer responsibility is critical for our industry. We have right now four states. And, and what's interesting is that this is occurring at the state level and not at the federal level. So 
there hasn't been a big push at the federal level for this uh, concept. But essentially, the concept of extended producer responsibility is to make the person who produces the product responsible for its end of life. So from a printing perspective, what that translates into primarily is going to be packaging and printed paper. And so uh, the, the concept of, of extended producer responsibility is that there is a, a tax or a fee that's imposed upon the producer, which is the person putting that product into the marketplace. And then that money is used to either subsidize or pay for the collection and then eventual, recy eventual recycling of those materials that are collected. And so there's four states, uh, Maine, Colorado, uh, Oregon, oh, and California, that have passed uh, EPR legislation. Two of them are just on packaging only, and two of them included printed paper and packaging. Because of there's a because there's a movement out there to to address this solid waste stream, there are 13 other states that are considering this legislation, and we've been engaged through coalitions to uh, make our voices be heard in terms of. The way that these EPR the way these EPR requirements can be structured, and that the four states that have already passed them, they're a little bit different. Each one's a little bit different. So we're going to probably end up with a, eventually a fair number of states that pass this legislation. And our biggest concern is number one, the impact that it's going to have on the industry, and number two, the structure. Because if you have you know 26 different states and 26 different programs. Our, our industry is engaged in those because again, we're in that supply chain, we're providing printed paper for our customers. Uh, in some cases, depending upon the model, we have members that are directly providing and they have to pay fees to, into that system and or, or packaging, which something, you know, product gets put in a package, that package gets put into the marketplace, it then gets collected and then recycled in some manner. And so this, this, this EPR is really getting a lot more momentum and you have a lot of groups that are putting their, putting their weight behind it because they, they see it as a solution to the problem. Our, from our practical experience, we keep pointing out that there's a limit to this type of a program and that it should, we shouldn't be focusing on just this aspect of it and that we're really concerned about the fees or the taxes being charged because it makes the cost of the products that we produce for our customers go up. So they have to pay that fee. Now there's none of the programs so far put fees into place, but if we look at Canada, which a lot of provinces in Canada have had this program in place, it's literally hundreds of dollars per ton of paper. And, and it, when you stand next to a printing press, uh, it's printing on paper, it doesn't take much time these modern presses to produce a ton of paper. So you say, well, I'm going to add, you know, six, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars or so onto the cost of this job because there's now a fee that must get paid. So that's very concerning because people have alternative forms of communication that they can look at. And the more it gets expensive, the more costly it gets, the, the more impact it's going to have on whether people choose to print. Um, and, and, and then from a packaging perspective, again, some of these EPR programs are based on a, they call eco-modulated fees. And the studies have so far shown that the eco-modulation hasn't really affected packaging choice. In other words, you would pay less of a fee if your product is more recyclable. 
I mean, what drives packaging choice is what am I packaging? I have to protect that contents of that package. If it's a food-based product and it's flexible packaging, you know, you can't just change that packaging because you don't want the food product to spoil or have a lower, have a less of a shelf life. So packaging isn't just, I'm just going to change the package. It's a long involved process. So we're engaged in that EPR and we're, we are trying to make our voices be heard in terms of the impact that, it's, that it can have and eventually is going to have on the industry. The other thing I would probably say is we talked about the carbon, the carbon footprinting and scope three emissions. Another, another thing we're monitoring very closely is last year, the Securities Exchange Commission put out a proposal for publicly traded companies that if they're reporting on the greenhouse gas emissions, they have to quantify their scope three emissions and report on those. And again, if most, of our, most of our members are not publicly traded, some are, most are not, but, uh, it, but they're selling to companies that are publicly traded. So that's where we're saying, that's where we're gonna see a scope three in our future. And then the state of California uh, has proposed legislation because I'm, I don't know that they, know where the SEC proposal is going to go. The SEC proposal met with a lot of resistance uh, from industry, uh, but they're still working on it. Then California came back and said, well, we're not sure what's going to happen. So they proposed legislation that companies above a certain sales volume, now the sales volume, volume doesn't have to be in California, but above a certain sales volume, I think the proposal was a billion dollars, which is a big number. But if you have a billion dollars in sales and you do business in California, you have to report all your scope three emissions. So again, we're somebody's scope three emissions, which means if our customer is, is a large customer and they have a billion dollars in sales, they're not going to have to report, or if the legislation goes through, they have to report their scope three emissions, which means that we will be pulled into that reporting scenario through the regulatory requirements. So again, we, we joined a coalition uh, with the SEC proposal, we signed letters in opposition to it. We think it was way too extensive, what they're requiring. Um, and the whole area of scope three is, is, is an area of, of great um, uncertainty right now. There, there, there's, as I said, 15 different parameters associated with scope three, and it's, some of them are clear, and other ones are a lot less clear in terms of how I get my data and how I report on that data. And so there's a lot of uncertainty, but yet now it's, going to get put into law or regulation and people are very concerned like well, what if I what if my numbers aren't accurate because I don't have accurate data is that going to be held against me so there's a lot of concern along you know once you once you make it from a nice thing to do to a must thing to do and there there's other consequences that come with that that scenario so you mentioned it and then you also mentioned it earlier the nice thing to do versus now it's the must thing to do so what's driving this you know, intense push towards sustainability? Well, of course, the, the big push behind it are the, the laws and the regulations. And then what's pushing the laws and regulations is essentially public pressure. So there's a lot of public pressure that's mounting um, from a packaging perspective that started probably around 2016 when you had the big push on ocean plastics and, and it's still out there. There's still a lot of writing about ocean plastics. And you say, well, where are these coming from? You start looking at them. You can identify the brands based on the packaging that they're pulling out of the ocean or pulling out of or pulling out of landfills. And at one time, we thought we were in good shape uh, when it came to our waste products because 
you know, I, I live in Pittsburgh and I have, I live in a suburban community and we have, uh, we have, you know, two bins, one for our, our garbage and one for our recyclables. And so you would put your stuff in the recyclable bin and, and a truck would come once a week and it would scoop it up and it would go away. And you say, Hey, I'm doing my part. I'm recycling. I'm, I'm recycling, you know, I'm not throwing this stuff in the landfill. Well, what was happening is that that material what goes to what's called a material recovery facility or a MRF. And they would take it and dump it on the floor, literally. They would pick through it and pull out the things that had some economic value associated with it. And then they would bundle everything else up, put it on a ship and send it to China or other countries around the world. And China finally said, uh, and they would open up the bundles and pick through it, pull out some stuff that was economically viable. And then they had all this, what do we do with it? So China said, we're not doing this anymore. Um, and as a result of that, um, and there's, there were a couple of different names, the Blue Sky or the SORG program, but they stopped importing. And they put very high, very high standards on the material that they would bring into their country for processing. And, and then a whole bunch of other countries followed suit. So as a result, the world was taken by surprise. And, and so we are now, we started swimming in all this material that we were collecting, but not recycling because there was no infrastructure. And we still have that today. So we still have that problem today. What do we do with it? So one of the solutions, you know, is to come up with the extended producer responsibility. Uh, but what they're not building out is infrastructure. So what do we do with the material that we're collecting? But there's been in the last, I would say, you know, three, four years, a tremendous amount of innovation that's going on. New polymers, new ways to recycle materials. What we need to see is we need to see that stuff come to fruition and see and see what be commercially viable. So we need to get it to be commercially viable and that'll help ease some of the problem. But it's really public pressure and really a lot of it in the municipalities. So they're collecting this material and they're like, we there's no place for it to go. So we got to put in a landfill. You know, there's no outlet. There's no um, market for this material. So depending upon the material, like for example, PET, would uh, think of like uh, soda bottles or pop bottles. There's a strong market for that. And, and that, that's very successful. But once you get away from that, you start to see you know, a downhill demand curve. Now, the thing that really bothers us is the inclusion of paper in some of these programs because paper is highly recyclable. I mean, paper is close to 70% recovery rate and there's no reason to include it other than it helps pay for the cost of, it helps subsidize the cost of the other programs. And so paper isn't the problem and paper is getting caught into it. But our members print on plastics, our members print on paper. So we're kind of in that mix of that whole thing. But the, the driver is really public pressure. But you know, when you see on the news, you see photographs of the plastics and you see oceans plastics, in fact, I was just reading an article earlier um, or late last week about ocean. The ocean plastic is so bad that there's now ecosystems that are creating uh, life on top of the plastic that's floating in the ocean. And so, and so, you know, there, so there, it is a significant issue and people want something done about it. Therefore, the, the lawmakers do what lawmakers do. They pass laws. Is it the right thing? Is it the wrong thing? I don't know, but the only thing they know how to do is pass laws. And, you know, we, we're not, a lot of times those solutions, political solutions don't solve the technical problem. In my opinion, I think we need to, we need to really beef up the infrastructure. We need to beef up the demand 
for the materials so that there, it makes becomes like a lot more economically viable. So we need that infrastructure. Um, and so I, I don't think their efforts are focused correctly. It should be, should be focused on infrastructure, building infrastructure, and then the, the product will flow to that infrastructure to be, to be recycled. So I'm glad you brought up, um, you know, I know you'd, you'd brought up some, some laws and legislation that was, you know, relevant right now earlier, but you also just, um, reiterated that fact. So I'd love if you could talk a little bit about the different ways that the Alliance is advocating for the industry and getting involved um, on that level. Oh, yeah. So we're engaged um, at the federal level um, and we're engaged at the state level as well. So from a um, from an advocacy, advocacy standpoint, we tend to, in this particular instance, we tend to be uh, involved with other coalitions of, of like-minded associations. So we've, you know, it's a lot of times when you do this type of, of, um, of, of education, outreach, and representation, it's better to have the powers of numbers. So we've been working through a coalition, signing letters, uh, getting, getting some of our members to write to their legislators. We've had, uh, we've had one of our members who testified in opposition to the uh, to the to the bill that was in Maine, unfortunately it passed, but a packaging firm that was very well known, and they were adamantly opposed, and and so we got them to be able to testify against that legislation. Um, we're actually to supporting some work. There's a university that we were working with, York University out of Toronto. There's a researcher up there who's done a thorough and, and objective analysis of of, of EPR programs. And shown that you know in, in Canada uh, they're not they they plateaued on the recovery, but their costs are increasing quite significantly. So at some point we're going to reach that. I mean there will be a increase in collection, but collection is not recycling. So um, collection is collection. You still don't have the infrastructure to recycle the material, which is one of our main points. So we're doing our representations. We're doing it through coalitions. We're getting our members engaged, um, and we're 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 uh, working with from the four states are implementing it. We're sitting in on the committees, so now they have the advisory committees. They have to form uh, these advisory committees help structure oversee the program. So we're sitting in on the advisory committee meetings and providing our input when we get the chance through the public comment period to provide our in, to provide our perspective on as they start to structure these programs. And you mentioned um, getting members involved. So what, um, how can members get involved if they are interested in doing so? Well, probably the most efficient way would be to contact me and, and uh, find out what's going on in their state. As I said, there's like 13 states right now. Um, we've got uh, some successes that have been achieved. So for example, Maryland's bill that was proposed for extended producer responsibility turned into a study bill, which is what we we advocate. Uh, they need to really part of the they part of the misperception is they think they understand what's going on with their solid waste and they don't know that. So they actually need to study the solid waste and look at what would be viable and not. Um, and so the Maryland bill got turned into a study bill, and so that only came from efforts of people putting their voices into it letting their voices be heard about that. 
And so um, that I think is probably the most efficient way to do that. And we can we can help point them to where they 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 can be best um, we can they can be best utilized. Perfect. And if members were interested in accessing the um, you know carbon calculator that you mentioned or additional information about ESG or EPR, where where should they go? Well, uh, we revamped our website. One of our major projects we had last year was to revamp our, our sustainability page on our website. And we've structured it around uh, ESG. We have a section on extended producer responsibility. We have summaries of the four state laws that are up there. And as more, more states pass, we will putting, we'll be putting summaries of those requirements up there for them. We have, a, we have our carbon calculator, which is uh, accessible. And we, have, we put a whole new section in on energy efficiency. The energy efficiency, obviously, how do I reduce my carbon emissions while reducing your energy consumption is going to is going to be uh, uh, significant. Um, when you look at carbon emissions from printing, the things that thing that we're seeing right now is the two primary uh, sources of carbon emissions from printing are substrate and energy. So we have a whole section on energy efficiency. We have a checklist for energy efficiency that they can download, and we just updated links for funding because obviously sometimes you have to make investments for energy efficiency. And then the Inflation Reduction Act, which, which was passed last year, has a whole slew of credits um, that are available. So we have links on there to be able to go look at what those credits are. So And then, and then it, it goes even further. You can sometimes get some additional funding, funding and other incentives through uh, a state or through your local utility. So we've, we've put some links on there for the members to go look for funding to help pay for, to help pay for some of these initiatives. Um, and so uh, the, the tax credits are, are very attractive right now. So if a member is engaged in looking at ways to reduce energy efficiency, I would highly encourage them to go look at the webpage and see what types of tax credits are available and what type of funding might be available for them in their particular area. Perfect. And I will, uh, for all of our listeners, I will include a link to that page, the sustainability page on Printing United Alliance's website in the description. So you can you can click on it and explore it yourself. Um, Gary, thank you so much for speaking with me today about sustainability. It's such an important issue. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's a It's an area of high passion for me because Sustainability, you know, is something that, um, as I said, it's becoming from a nice thing to do to a must thing to do, but it's also a win-win-win. So, like, for example, if companies are able to reduce their energy consumption, reduce their carbon footprint, they reduce their operating costs, uh, it perhaps increases their profitability, so everybody wins. You know, it, it's, it's, to me, when you look at sustainability and you can reduce um, waste that you're generating, um, you know, it's another win uh, for the industry. So there, there, it isn't just a cost, right? So there are, there, are, there are benefits in sustainability. And so I would encourage everyone to go visit the website and explore that. And, um, and if they have questions, they can always reach out to me. Perfect. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. Stay tuned because coming up next, Dan and Adam will dive into everything sustainability. Adam Peake is Senior Vice President of Sales at Myers Printing and also the host of the People of Packaging podcast. Welcome, Adam. 
Hey, thanks, Dan. Yeah, so we're talking today about sustainability, and let's just start out with why is sustainability important, and what, in your opinion, is the strongest argument for printers to make their processes more sustainable? So sustainability is important for longer than we probably have on this podcast interview. Uh, the the population, the human population, is growing at a rate that we've never seen or had to really hold on to right so i i forget the exact numbers but i think it's from like 1800 to 1900 we added a billion people or something like that went from like and then but from 1900 to 2000 we added 5 billion and we're going we're going to be at 10 billion pretty soon and so participating in sustainability is about more than just marketing although marketing and branding is important mm-hmm. it's about more than you know just having having some commitments to make it's really about are we going to participate in the sustaining of human life on the planet <laughs> and and do we have the ability to do it right so sustain ability mm-hmm. uh, and are we going to all participate in that and so it's it's incredibly important there's nobody who thinks that humans should not be alive on the planet at least no humans that i know and so we should we should all be willing to participate in what it is that we have to do mm-hmm. in order to continue that. So, yeah, I know. Um, you know, one of the ways you refer to yourself, um, or a couple of the ways, are packaging pastor and evangelist for the packaging industry. I know you're in like an ordained minister or pastor. Um, so, so building on that, do you think there is a moral imperative for sustainability? And if there is, what is it? Yeah, the so I, that is true. I am a, I'm an ordained Baptist minister. I'm still actively involved in um in our, in our church here in Utah. Planted a couple of churches. Actually, was a pastor in Fort Collins, Colorado. So a, a moral imperative is is an interesting way of putting it. I I think that it's it's hard because it would be hard for me to say, hey, everybody needs to participate in it. And also, this is the exact way that participation looks like. And that's where the word imperative, I think, becomes problematic is because the grand idea of sustainability is not controversial. Mm -hmm. What is controversial is the paths and, and what is more sustainable, what is less sustainable, what is marketing sustainability, what is greenwashing, what is, Mm -hmm. there's all this other stuff. And so it would be difficult for me to say, we have a moral imperative to recycle or to compost or to reuse or whatever it is. But I do think that we have a moral imperative to future generations in the planet. And specifically, there's a moral imperative for people who care about the the less fortunate in the world. I've been blessed to go to Africa, to go to India, to go to parts of Asia. Mm-hmm. And that is where the impact of climate change is most felt. And so... I feel a moral imperative to help out other humans not, who are alive today and who will be alive in the future. I would hope that other people would join me on that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, sort of building on that then, you know, pastors and evangelists often speak of hope. Um, so what, in your opinion, is hopeful in the sustainability space today? The thing that brings me the most hope is that the conversation is real and young people are not putting up with sustainability 
BS sustainable, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, they're right. just not, they're not putting up with it. And so I get hopeful because while there's so much negativity and just crap on the internet and you can get lost in it, mm-hmm. what it's also provided is the ability for the dissemination of information to happen very quickly. And so if there is a company who is just trying to finagle their way through the sustainability thing so they can sell some stuff, mm-hmm. they're getting called out and rightly so. So I have hope that younger generations, the Gen X, Gen Z generations are really the ones who are not only impacted by it, but are also doing things about it. And they're demanding that the that the generations above them, you know, I'm like a Gen X millennial, the baby, mm-hmm. they're demanding that they participate in the change. Yeah. And that demand is being met with, yep, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go for it. So that's where I have a lot of hope. Yeah, it seems interesting because it, it, over time, perhaps it could just be one more of those things that is a basic expectation of of doing business. You know, good quality, on time delivery, and sustainable. Um, no question there. Um, you don't even have to have the conversation. Do you see that as what the future might look like? I think it's already happening. Um, I really do. I if you go to any any trade shows, if you go, if you attend any industry events in the packaging industry, food and beverage industry, mm-hmm. uh, any industry, right? The the messaging is very clear. We are about sustainability and other things now. It used to be that you could, a, a unique sustainable advantage was we are about sustainability. Mm-hmm. That advantage is going away because more and more companies have, you know, come in and said, all right, we're going to be about sustainability. We're going to be about sustainability. And it's like the quote from The Incredibles, right? When when everyone is when everyone is special, then no one is, right? So, yeah. and that's what we almost want that, but in a positive sense, like we want everybody to be in the sustainability space, in especially in packaging and with CPG companies, because then it just becomes like you described. It's it's the fourth leg of the stool: quality, right. yeah. customer service, price, and now sustainability. And now we have a pretty solid stool that we can all sit on and then we'll see what comes next. Yeah. And I, th- I think it, when it ceases to become either a novelty or a, a differentiation point, that means it's it's been mainstreamed and, and hopefully we're going that way. So let's talk about um, a different kind of uh, four-legged stool here. And um, it seems to me that for packaging products and a lot of other printed stuff, there's sort of a handful of groups that can influence sustainability. The first being sort of the designer and specifier of the project, the product. There's the producer uh, that would be the printer or packager, the brand. Um, and then last is the consumer. So what's the role of each of those groups in the task of, of making things more sustainable? And who do you think bears the most responsibility? Yeah, there, and there's even now a fifth leg to this is a, this is becoming a weird stool which is the government so policy yeah. is now becoming a major influencer in in the u.s specifically the u.s i believe australia and then parts of the eu um who so e- each part has its own responsibility uh for sure i think the where the primary this is gonna this is not gonna land very well with a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast let's go but my personal standpoint is if you are a supplier or a manufacturer or a converter Mm -hmm. you need to be the most knowledgeable person in the room when it comes to sustainability because 
this is what you live and breathe. So if, if you're a, the consumer doesn't necessarily know right. how to recycle has been helpful. I love what the sustainable packaging coalition is doing. There's, there's a lot of really great benefits to how, how we can communicate to the customer. But at the end of the day, I, if my TikTok followers are any indication, people have no idea. <laughs> and so they're not going to have the responsibility. The, the CPG or the brand owner is focused on how do they sell their product? How do they make a, you know, build a better mousetrap? They're, they're not packaging experts. Right. So it's on us. I really think it's on us to be educated, to understand what's happening, go visit recycling centers, understand is compostable packaging wanted by industrial composters? What is reusability? Get into scope one, scope two, scope three emissions, understand epr laws the best you can you, you have to educate yourself yeah and do you see um i hear i hear from some printers that they're getting more uh more questions more pressure from their customers for sustainable products and then hence the brands yeah 100 percent. i mean the the consumers and the brands are going to create demand i think for sure but that doesn't mean that we as printers or converters have to meet the demand the exact way that they want it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I'll use an analogy. So I have, I say this a lot, I have five kids and I have one wife and my kids will demand things. They'll ask for stuff all the right. time, but it doesn't mean I'm going to deliver it to them that way. And I don't mean that brands and, and consumers are children or the adults, but the analogy is just because a demand is asked for, doesn't mean it's the right thing. Yeah. And so being educated around the products that you make, the impacts that they have. And honestly, I just wish more printers and more packaging companies would be willing to say, doesn't sound like we're the right fit for what it is you're trying to accomplish, but let me tell you who is. Mm -hmm. You need to talk to so-and-so over here at ABC Packaging Company. They're going to be great for you. Yeah. And Let's it sounds like that. that's where the, the expertise part really comes in because you know, I might be saying like, oh, I, I want a pony because I need to be able to get to work. And somebody will say, well, have, you know, have you heard of a car? Have you heard of a bicycle? And, you know, it, sometimes helping that person sort of close the gap on what they truly need and that might serve a better purpose and still meet their needs can be uh, super beneficial. I'd like to talk a little bit about um, a trend I see toward more complex packaging. Um, premiumization is a word I've heard uh, bandied around a little bit. And that's the stuff that uses a lot of embellishment or really complicated packages that use a variety of materials. Um, is that antithetical to sustainability in your opinion? It can be for sure. But similarly, the minimalistic packaging movement could also be antithetical towards sustainability because there, there's nothing sustainable about going out of business. There's nothing sustainable about throwing away your product. There's, mm -hmm. there's nothing sustainable about product returns, um, about damages and shipments. There's so there, there's so much packaging delivers so much different value and so many different value propositions mm -hmm. that to, to make a, a, a black and white or an either or case for, okay, you have this packaging over here and it's got foil, it's got gloss UV, it's got tactile, it's got all this, it's got all this stuff happening. Mm -hmm. 
And that's not as sustainable because it's not recyclable. Sure. Right. And if they just would have gone over here to this recyclable packaging, then then it would be more sustainable. It's like, yeah, but they're competing on the retail shelf against all these other products. Their sales have gone up 30% year over year. And there's, there's, there is a brand element to packaging yeah. along with a protection element. And so I, I feel like a politician when I say this stuff, because I feel like I kind of dance around the edges, but I personally try really hard to speak directly to specific examples with a customer to their exact needs to help them understand what it is that they are trying to do mm -hmm. and stay as agnostic as I can right. towards the solution until you understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish. Your pony example is great. Oh, you're trying to get to work. You're not trying to open up a pony farm. Right, right. Awesome. There's another way to do that. There are a lot of people within the printing industry, within the packaging industry who are somewhere along the journey of sustainability. Um, but what it, what advice would you give to companies, either large or small, looking at making their first strong committed move towards sustainability? Um, where do you think they should start? And what metrics do you think they should follow? Yeah, I, I'm going to go back to my uh, biblical exegesis classes from <laughs> Dallas uh, Theological Seminary to answer this one. So there, there's a process of understanding and interpreting ancient literature. And it's actually something that's similar used in like Navy SEAL training and some other places. But it's it's you start with what is objectively true. Uh, okay. So you observe is the first thing. So if you're going to go down this process, you need to understand what is true, not what you hope to be true, not what you want to be true. You have to know your own data. You have to know your own processes. Where are you at right now? And so if you want to measure your, I, I would I would start with, you know, try to come up with some type of, uh, of an LCA analysis of your internal operations. Mm -hmm. How much electricity are you using? Uh, how much waste are you generating? And, and start going, okay, well, can we reduce the amount of electricity that we consume? Can we switch to uh, wind power? Can we switch to solar? Can we, like, can we switch to LED in, in the building? And there's a lot of like non-sexy sustainability things that you can do, but you don't know to do them until you start with where are we currently at? Where are we going to go? Mm -hmm. and, then, and then what's that gap? So you, you start with your observation, you interpret the data, Right. So you observe, you interpret and you correlate it together and then you apply it. Mm -hmm. And the application of the data is this is where we want to be in X amount of time. So I would track, like I said, I would track, I would track waste. I would track energy usage. Um, you know, what types of material offerings do you have currently? What types of material offerings would you like to have? Mm -hmm. What, what is the, what is the LCA between those different materials? Um, and, Obviously, printers are all shapes, sizes, you know, sure. different different things. But that that would be the the place that I would start for sure on that journey. Okay, yeah. One thing I've said before to people is one one very sustainable move you can make is to do quality work. Um, don't be doing stuff over again. Don't get re that stuff rejected. Don't make garbage. Hundred um, percent. That's a good place to start too. Hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, and that really ties in to the next question, which is the business case for sustainability. Um, 
for those who make a commitment to being more sustainable toward this goal of being sustainable, however that's defined, do you see that the hard work uh, reliably benefits the bottom line of companies? Well, yeah, because like you said, there there's so much more to it than just do, do we offer 100% recycled options, right? So you, you bring up such a great point about measuring waste and what is your quality and what are your what are your product returns and your your customer satisfaction ratings? All of that contributes to sustainability, a hundred a hundred percent, and also contributes to the bottom line. And so when I'm talking to brand owners, it's usually okay. Well, how can we reduce the size? Can 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 we reduce any of your any of your packaging, your size, your weight, mm -hmm. materials? Because that's gonna that's in not all the time, but in all likelihood, that's going to make some kind of contribution either on freight or on material costs or on storage costs, whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah, certainly there, there's a savings component to it, which, which, which you did an awesome job of, of highlighting. And then there is also the fact that if especially brand owners pivot and you help those brand owners pivot, your customers tend to be able to make more money on their products in in more sustainably produced items because there is a moral imperative felt by a lot of consumers to buy things that are sustainable. And so I think it was Forbes that had a, a whole article about how consumers are willing to pay 10 to 15% more mm -hmm. for items they believe are sustainable. And the better off your customers are doing financially, the better off you'll do financially, the less price pressure you're probably going to have, so on and so forth. Yeah, I know uh, professionally I've been kind of working around some of the sustainability, you know, environmental management kind of areas um, through association work. And, you know, I think early on we had to lead, we had to walk into the room with the business case because so many people would roll their eyes, think, "Ugh, you know, that's not us. We don't do that. Um, that's crazy, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's gotten to the point that I don't think we need to walk in you know, presenting that business case up front anymore. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, people are running businesses. They're in the process of making money, hopefully. And it still, it still talks. Um, do you find less pushback to the, uh, the sustainability message than you used to when you started evangelizing for sustainability? Yeah, definitely. There's, there's, far, there's far more options and there's far less pushback. Mm -hmm. which, which also has led, at least from my perspective, to be a lot more free in how we discuss it. It, it almost felt like, like you said, you had to force it a little bit yep. in the early on because the, the cost delta was so great. A lot of those prices have, have been condensed down to a, a place where the conversation is pretty reasonable. And in some cases, it's, it's better to be in you know what, say a clay coated news back versus an SBS board. Sometimes it's, it's actually less expensive to go mm -hmm. that route. So uh, yeah, for sure. It's, I, I find myself doing a lot of like lunch and learns now for brands, helping them understand certain areas of sustainability. It's, it's being requested now. It's not something that you have to sell someone on. Yeah. And then a uh, final question here, and this is uh, you get, get to put on your crystal ball, um, yes. but if you could snap your fingers right now, and change one thing uh, that would make the printing and packaging segment more sustainable, what would it be? Easy. Teleportation. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, honestly, Explain. it's like, 
Well, if, if, if I have my, first of all, and first of all, that's my superpower of choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, it's, it's in the Bible, actually, there's a, there's like teleportation that happens in the Bible. So I'm like, bring it on. That's the one that I want. Uh, if anyone has any questions about that, you can hit me up. We can talk about it later. Okay. Uh, but you know, I, I do bring this up a lot. I, you know, the scene from Charlie, Willie, Charlie and chocolate factory, the one with Gene Wilder, mm-hmm. Mike TV gets departicalized and then shot through the air and then reparticalized into the small TV version of Mike TV. Yep. I remember. So if you were able to do that, if you were able to take a product, right, let's say it's uh, it's it's food, it's steak, and that steak was manufactured and then teleported into someone's house, you would have no need for packaging. That would be the most sustainable thing to do, which is clearly not in the realm of reality right now. Mm-hmm. So if I had to be more, I don't know, more realistic with it, um, I would say it's every product company would know their data immediately and they would be able to run instant analysis of their current data versus what their next date, what, what maybe a better alternative would be. It would be as simple as a Google search or a chat GPT function, right? Like something that you could mm-hmm. just say, Hey, what's the difference between glass and clear PET? And then it would say, this is the difference between it. And you're like, okay, yeah. awesome. I want the I want the the one with the less lesser of an environmental impact as measured by these agreed upon nationally, worldwide, globally agreed upon standards of what makes it. If we had the standards and we had the data, then I think we could really make a, an immediate difference. And we're getting close. Mm-hmm. That that's what I would like to see happen in the next five to ten years. Okay. And, and teleportation would also be amazing. Well, Adam, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. And um, you are now uh, able to teleport back to your normal life. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. I want to thank Gary for sharing his expertise and knowledge on today's episode. I also want to thank Dan and Adam for taking some time to talk about Adam's experiences in the world of sustainability. For those who want to access the newly updated sustainability page that Gary mentioned earlier on in the episode, it can be found on Printing United Alliance's website, printing.org. I'll include a link to the page in the podcast description. If you're interested in learning more about supporting the Alliance's sustainability initiatives, visit printing.org. If you aren't already a member and you would like access to Gary's expertise and all of the tools and resources available, visit printing.org join. Finally, I want to thank all of you, our listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Impressions Exchange podcast. <laughs>